Okay, okay. Keep looking up. Okay. This is Flyover Book, a podcast exploring the progressive arts, culture, and politics of rural America. This episode is brought to you by Haymakers Community Engagement Consultants. If you run a business or nonprofit working to make the world a better place, then visit wemakehay.com to see how Haymakers can help. This episode is also sponsored by RuralOrganizing.org. RuralOrganizing.org has been equipping and empowering rural changemakers since 2012. Visit RuralOrganizing.org for more information. There are things that we need to do to make sure that we maintain a level of quality so that our community can experience improved quality of life. And so something that I talk about now a lot is every physician in every hospital ought to have something called a quality of life improvement factor. So when you go to train, you should know where you're going to practice, and you should know how to be trained the best you can so that you can meet as many of the needs in the community that you're in. That's very important in a small community. That's how I determine quality in a small community, is we can improve the quality of life of the community just by being able to do as many things as possible so that we can provide as many needs as possible to those people that are right here in our own community. Attracting young people while caring for an aging population is a challenge that faces nearly every rural community. On today's special episode of Flyover Folk, we're going live to a panel hosted by the Des Moines Register. The panel is part of a Changing Iowa series, which is a public service series from the Des Moines Register that examines the sweeping demographic and workplace changes confronting Iowans, their community, and the state's economy. For more information on the project, visit DesMoinesRegister.com slash Changing Iowa. The panel today is hosted by Lynn Hicks, opinion editor at the Des Moines Register. You're listening to Flyover Folk exploring the progressive arts, culture, and politics of rural America. I'm Lynn Hicks, the opinion editor of the Des Moines Register. Um, And uh, we're here tonight to, as part of our Changing Iowa series. And uh, Changing Iowa is a series of of stories that we've done in the Register looking at some of the sweeping demographic and economic changes facing the state. Um, And... We wanted to do more than just a series of stories in the newspaper. We wanted to go out and explore some of the themes we've, we've been writing about. So we started, we went to Spencer at the Clay County Fair, and we talked about how agriculture is changing. We went to Fort Dodge to look at some of the issues facing Iowa's micropolitans, the mid-sized cities, which Oskaloosa is one of them, and some of the challenges those cities are facing. We went to Marshalltown to talk about welcoming new Iowans. And we're here tonight to talk about how do we create great communities for all generations. So why did we choose Oskaloosa? Um, you know, we, were, we have heard great things happening here. We knew you were a college town, a great hospital. Uh, I've heard a lot about the uh, MCG, the, and I'm envious of the service you have here. Um, and so we wanted to explore this because of those issues of so many towns, the challenges they're facing attracting and retaining young people, but also serving the aging population they're facing. So tonight we're going to be talking about that. We'll have a panel discussion, but most of the night we'll be focused on you and the small group discussions, and we'll talk a little more about that later, but um, 
that's been my favorite part of this is, is going around and having brainstorming in these small groups. Then we'll ask you to report back and what you found. So I'll talk more about that later. First, I want to introduce who we have here tonight. Um, Tom Flaherty is my co-MC tonight. He's the executive director of the Mahaska Community Economic Development. And a, uh, how long has it been? Nine weeks? Nine, Nine weeks in, in town. So um, we've also got uh, Bethany Wilcoxon. Bethany uh, is uh, vice principal of community planning at McClure Engineering in the Des Moines area. Uh, next, we have Beth Danowski, community development specialist at Musco Lighting, and Dr. Tim Brian, surgeon at Mahaska Health Partnership. So uh, we'll start out with uh, Tom who's going to say a few words. Thank you. Thank you, Lynn. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here tonight. It's a pleasure to be in Oskaloosa. Uh, it's been nine weeks, and I, uh, I can't tell you how, how welcome I feel and how much I've enjoyed this community. Um, I was originally asked to, if I'd kick this off and talk about the challenges and the opportunities uh, facing communities like Oskaloosa going forward. So I started to think about it, and I, I recalled an article that uh, uh, our Main Street director, Emily Brown, had sent around uh, to, for everybody in our staff to read. Uh, it was written by James Fallows. Uh, James Fallows is a, um, an author, an intellect, and he, he writes about things like community development and changing demographics. And um, he and his wife traveled all over the United States for three years studying communities and what's working well and what isn't. And his ultimate um, takeaway is that America's in a great place. Um, our communities are very resilient. We are always reinventing ourselves and there's just an ongoing sense of renewal. And on the side of the, on this fairly large article, he had a little sidebar, and it was called uh, 11 Signs a City Will Succeed. And as I, as I read about that, it, Oskaloosa fits very well into this. Um, so I'm just going to go through these 11 very briefly. First, divisive national politics seem a distant concern. And that's what I'm finding here. In our line of work, we're out talking to business leaders all the time, and inevitably politics comes up. But it's not the national stuff. I haven't heard any of it. Now, I've heard some stuff between the counties and the city, but nothing at the national level. Um, number two, you can pick out local patriots. Who makes this town go? Well, we're very fortunate. We all know that we're fortunate to have Musco in town. But we've got many others in this community. And I'm not going to try to list them all because I'll forget the most important ones. But I encourage you, when you're at the Daily Center, look at the back of the, uh, of the, uh, of the uh, agenda. Look at the companies that are sponsoring it. When you're down at our events in the downtown, look at who's sponsoring these events. This is a very giving uh, and generous community. Um, Public-private partnerships are real. Well, all you have to do is look at what's going on in our Main Street area. Um, right now, we've got a CDBG facade grant program that's a combination of the city and Main Street and the private properties. They're investing over a million dollars into the facade downtown, and next year we're looking at another project, over a million dollars going into facade improvements in our downtown. The streetscape was public-private partnerships. We had an ad hoc group uh, take over an alley right outside the door here and um, turn a public right-of-way into just a great gathering space. Um, we've got the Recreation and Childhood uh, early, early Childhood Development Center. That's a combination of the city, the schools, and the YMCA coming together. Um, number four, people know the civic story. Not only do we have a bandstand over there, every Thursday night in the summer, 
at 8 o'clock, we've got a band. The town band plays. They've been doing this since 1864. This town has spirit. Um, they have a real downtown. Um, I'm a downtown person. I love downtown redevelopment. It's, it's my background. I'm also an avid bicyclist, and I love Ragbri. And I was here in 2013, 2014, um, and I had a buddy sent me a text. He was in the bandstand. He said, come get a couple beers and join me. As I walked over there, a couple people sat down, so I got to squirm up onto the bandstand and sit there and watch the Nadas, and we just laughed the entire time. We just kept pointing out different buildings in this community and how beautiful they've been preserved and put together. This is a real downtown. Uh, number six, they were near a research university. Well, not only is the University of Iowa and Iowa State very close, um, we benefit from having a great liberal arts school, William Penn University. Um, they're a... They're a they're a frequent rival of my, my hometown school, St. Ambrose. Go bees. Um, <clears throat> they have and care about a community college. Um, one of the things we're going to talk tonight uh, talk about is workforce. Workforce is a genuine challenge for us. Um, Indian Hills Community College has been at every meeting we've asked them to be at. Um, they drive up here relentlessly. And actually, before uh, this program tonight, uh, Dr. Sprouse uh, from Indian Hills uh, was up here just to, to meet me and so that we could get to know each other, make sure that our programs are working well together. Um, number eight, they have unusual schools. Our high school, we have a new high school and a new middle school, and in between the two of them, the community has built a world-class performing arts theater, the, the George Daly Center. So not only does the community have a place to go see world-class uh, performing arts, our junior high and our senior high have the same facilities to use. Um, they make themselves open. I can't tell you how welcome I have been made to feel in this community. I've only been here nine weeks, and people are stopping me in the street and asking me how I'm doing. Uh, everything I've ever, anything we've needed, it's been handed here. Also, William Penn has a tremendous history of bringing diverse student base into this community. They've been doing it for decades, and they've always been welcome. Uh, number ten, they have big plans. Um, what brought me to to the Mahaska County? The fact that MCARD the Chamber, Main Street, and MCDG are all going to be working together now on, on unified plans. We're going to be looking at our organization, we're going to be talking economic development, we're going to be looking at housing, and we're going to be working on workforce development. We have big plans. And finally, the one thing that really um, is a sign that uh, communities are going to succeed, they've got a craft, craft brewery. <laughs> <laughs> So I just I wanted to point out, it's communities, micropolitans like Oskaloosa are built to succeed. You brought up the MCG fiber, fiber to the premise. I don't think people in, in Mahaska County appreciate just how valuable that is. Our manufacturing base is strong here. It makes up 25% of our workforce. And the, 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 the manufacturing that's here is itself diverse. More than 50% of our manufacturers here export out of the country. In the 2010 census... Oskaloosa had 11,543 residents. It's never been that large. We've got two Frank Lloyd Wright homes in this community. And the pheasant population is so strong. Governor Reynolds was here last week for the Iowa uh, uh, pheasant, uh, pheasant hunt. Thanks to the Mahaska Pheasant Forever. So um, I firmly believe that communities like Oskaloosa are absolutely built to succeed. We've got some challenges. Challenges are attracting and retaining talent. Engineers, welders, CNC operators, senior level managers, Housing, the majority of our housing stock was built prior to World War II, and some transportation infrastructure. We've got a wonderful venue here, but we're going to see semi-trucks going by 
relentlessly on their way down to the second largest cargo facility on the planet. So, thank you. Thanks, Tom. That's very helpful. Uh, you know, one of the things I heard uh, you talk about a lot was the arts. And I want to turn to you, Bethany, because, and I should say that Bethany, uh, in her position at McClure, is um, going around, uh, that company goes around the com- uh, country um, helping communities do planning and creative placemaking. And in fact, she was just in my hometown, which is much, much smaller than Oskaloosa, a little town of Stanton in southwest Iowa. Um, <clears throat> helping them uh, with these with these uh, topics, and can you talk a little bit about what is the role of the arts and what what you call creative placemaking in uh, recruiting and community planning? Certainly. Am I on here? Yep. Excellent. So we really see arts as a catalyst for community development in both terms of economic as well as population growth. So what are those catalytic projects, those unique things that are going to draw people to our communities? So we go in and we work with communities to determine what they are. And I think a couple of the important factors, they're really driven by the residents of those communities. It's not about coming in from the outside with these great ideas. It's really understanding from the community members what are those ideas. And then secondly, what are those things that are really going to draw people and be those differentiators for the community? Is it a brewery, for instance, or is it a performing arts center? Uh, really building on what is already in place. Uh, we just finished up some work in Newton, and they have the wonderful Hotel Maytag. And what's going to happen to that? There are some plans to update that, but we really want to look at what happens to that theater. And it maybe can't compete with larger theaters, so can it perhaps become a nonprofit and provide some other programming for communities. So really looking to have that catalytic impact. And what that looks like in different communities is never the same. There could be similar ideas, but it's always going to be determined based upon what that community is looking at and what they want to be when they grow up. And we look at that approach from communities of 200 to 200,000. We want to find that best fit for the community and really have that buy-in because that's what's going to ensure the success of those projects. Thank you. Um, Beth, can you talk a little bit more? What, what do you think this community, what's the differentiators that Bethany mentioned? I guess having the opportunity to tour, provide tours for people in the community we have, to have, we have to offer quality jobs. But I think the experience of taking people around the community and showing them the daily auditorium, talking to them about the bandstand and the things that go on in our community, I think those are the things that kind of differentiate our community. Um, we don't often think of broadband as entertainment, but I think um, we, could, we could argue that broadband is, a, is definitely a form of entertainment. It's a way of bringing information in and, and those kinds of things. And I would say that's one of the things that really differentiates this community, the gigabit service that we enjoy. So I think those are things that really set us apart. Um, one of the things I wanted <coughs> all of us to talk about a little bit is this, this idea of um, all, serving all generations. And um, can we get some ideas from any of the uh, panelists here about, you know, is there a conflict there in, in trying to both attract millennials and serve the older generation. What do you think about that? What do you think are the sort of the common issues? Well, I'll touch on that because I have the opportunity to work on a project that's very important to this community and it, and it affects 
people from cradle to grave. Um, we have an opportunity right now to build a recreation and early childhood education center, and we really see that as a center that's going to serve citizens from our youngest to citizens of our oldest who, who need wellness services. The early childhood education center really begins by providing services to infants. Uh, we provide preschool, we provide after-school care, wellness services, exercise, recreation events, and so I think that's that's one project that we see as pivotal in this community and very, very important to retaining our older population and also attracting younger people to the community. So that's in the works now? It's in the works, correct. Sign, please. I would also add that I think providing choice, whether that's in terms of housing opportunities or in terms of transportation opportunities or workforce opportunities, is important across all of those generations. We also look at spaces like Smoky Row. It's maybe used by all generations, but probably just during different hours. The same thing for other restaurants or performing arts centers. They're used by a variety of community members, but maybe from 3 to 6 by the older generation and maybe from 9 to midnight by the younger generation. Uh, doctor, can you uh, talk about what are some of the what you see as the uh, health care needs, particularly for the aging, in that this this region is facing well um, thank you for the opportunity you know health care is one of those things that um, certainly affects all age groups it's something that sometimes uh, when you come to a community you just assume that they have a health they have a health care system because they may have a hospital and um, one of the things that I think about um, you know I my, my grandfather passed away in the hospital where I work um, in 1971 from just a ruptured spleen from a farming accident. And and so that was something that we can easily take care of now, but he couldn't have that taken care of then. And so we, we think about this in terms of how can we improve the quality of life of everybody in the, in the community. And I know a couple of years ago I was asked by the American College of Surgeons to come to Des Moines, and they put a forum on about how to improve quality in surgery all around the world, and it was a. They had these town hall meetings naturally, or all around the world, and they chose Iowa to do the one on rural healthcare, rural surgery. And so they asked me to come and asked me to define how we, how we determine and measure and improve quality in a small hospital. And so one of the things that we're challenged with is that we do a little bit of everything, but we don't have the numbers sometimes of big cases like you would have in a big facility that to say, well, our, our outcome is really good because we we have this kind of an outcome in terms of infection rates and success rates. But one of the things that I thought of one night as I was thinking about what am I going to talk about was that I thought about eight people that um, I was fortunate enough to walk into the ER when they called me that had lost their airway since I've been here 15 years ago. And those eight people were all dead when I walked into the ER. And the only thing that was wrong with them is they couldn't breathe. They had no established airway. And so all I did was something that I was trained to do, which was not common for every general surgeon, but something that I thought that I might need to learn to do because I might end up in a small community where they would need something like that would be to put in a, a surgical airway really quickly. And so those eight people are still alive and living in this community. And I got to thinking about that. How does that elevate the quality of life of our community? Well, some of those people are fathers and grandfathers. Some of those people are still working. And if, if I was the kind of surgeon that would have said, or, or if we would have had the hospital that said, you know, we don't, 
manage those kind of situations, well, those people wouldn't have made it, and we would have walked out and said, we did all we could. And everybody would have said, well, I guess they did all they could. But I know that it wasn't enough because there are things that we need to do to make sure that we maintain a level of quality so that our community can experience improved quality of life. And so something that I talk about now a lot is every physician in every hospital ought to have something called a quality of life improvement factor. So when you go to train, you should know where you're going to practice, and you should know how to be trained the best you can so that you can meet as many of the needs in the community that you're in. That's very important in a small community because you may only have one or two surgeons in a small community, and if, if they're retired and they've never done the broad spectrum of things that the community needs, then you don't know that. The community doesn't know that. You just assume that they are going to do that. But you might be surprised some night to find out that you bring your seven-year-old son in because his tonsils are bleeding after having those taken care of in Des Moines, and the person that's on call doesn't do airways. And so they've done all they could do, and all of a sudden your, your son or daughter isn't living, and your quality of life just dropped dramatically because of just a simple thing. We didn't have anybody that could do something that we all assumed that you could do. So the assumptions between the community and the assumption between the providers that provide the health care should be known and should be matched. And those should be known very well, especially in small communities where there may be a lot of assumptions but not much communication. And so that's how I determine quality in a small community is we can improve the quality of life of the community just by being able to do as many things as possible so that we can provide as many needs as possible to those people that are right here in our own community. I just got done taking care of a good friend of mine that was in a farming accident. That's why I was late tonight. And so, you know, I think when you think about quality in terms of just the quality of life of the people that we get to serve and how can we elevate the quality of their life, and they don't even know it. They're just around to experience it, and that's the way it should be. Thanks, Doctor. Um, I'd like to go down the, uh, the panel here and ask a question um, if you could give me one, maybe two policies that you would like, you would advocate for to help communities like Oskaloosa, Mahaska County, that that could be on the federal level, state level, um, local level. I'll, I'll take that. Um, I think one of the most pressing things that's that we're facing is uh, in Oskaloosa across the state of Iowa. It's, a, it's at the Iowa level, and it's workforce training. Um, the, the 260E and 260F programs that allow the community colleges to come in and provide training uh, to our employers is, is critical, and um, it's something that we all, we all need to be ready to defend. I'll add the Federal Historic Tax Credit Program, uh, which helps us rehabilitate older buildings across the country. Uh, according to the National Trust for Historic Preservation, uh, it's created 2.4 million local jobs, uh, invested in 42,000 properties, and for every dollar invested, the U.S. Treasury receives $1.20 to $1.25 in return. So that would be on the federal level. And then also, I think we really need to look at incenting our people. Uh, the work that we do, we actually look at creating these programs across different communities. So if that looks at uh, bringing a coalition of funders together, if it's businesses as well as local organizations like Tom's, 
together to incent certain professions. Uh, I'll point to the Fulfilling Iowa's Need for Dentists program uh, that was launched several years ago. What that does, it recognizes that many dentists in rural Iowa are retiring, so there's that shortage of that critical need. So it incents dentists that are coming out of school to go to rural counties, set up rural practices. Uh, If they stay there for a certain amount of time, it will forgive, I believe, up to $100,000 in loan debt. So really great opportunity uh, for us, and we think that should be expanded to other professions depending on the community need. Excellent. I just wanted to add, if you want to know more about the federal housing, uh, federal historic tax credit, uh, see today's Des Moines Register. There's a front page story on that. So, and as <clears throat> the background is, is that uh, it's the, the House bill would eliminate it, the House tax reform bill would eliminate it, and the Senate one would cut it. 20 to 10. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, I'm going to break the rules on list three. We have a lot of elected officials here tonight, and I guess one of the things I really appreciate about our elected officials, some at the state level, many at the local level, is that they intentionally look for opportunities to partner, and that's not a policy, but I think when they start to look at policy, it's really important for them to look about the community and look at ways we can leverage our tax dollars. So I, I appreciate how many, so many leaders in this room that do that. Um, two other issues that are at the state level. Um, nobody in this room that knows me will be surprised that I mentioned transportation. <laughs> um, Iowa has less than 1% of the population. We, have, uh, we rank 13th in the, in the number of roadway miles. We rank 5th in the number of bridges nationwide. And I guess as we watch elections come and go, as we listen to the things that are important to this community, roads always comes up. And I guess I think one of the things that we need to start doing is taking a look at the size of our system and thinking about how we can reduce the size of that system without negatively impacting our farmers and our businesses, but making better roadways by not having such a large system. So I think that's one of the things that we need to start thinking about. And I know that, I know Tom Riley is here, Tom, our DOT commission is is all over that, thinking about that, so I appreciate that. Um, The other thing that I mentioned earlier was um, our community has a gigabit service and we're we're really fortunate to do that, but I think I think that sets us apart. I think that's why we have so many exporters here. I think that's why our companies have the ability to succeed the way they do. I think if we think about the state of Iowa and how many places don't have gigabit service, we need to start looking at how we create a model for the state of Iowa where we all have gigabit services, because I think it would be a game changer for businesses statewide. I think one of the things that our state needs to do is encourage uh, the two medical schools in our own state to make sure that we can incentivize students to want to practice in in our own state. And so many students uh, from rural communities go to medical schools, but they lose interest in rural communities because it's kind of discouraged all the way throughout the training. So there are more and more programs now at Des Moines University and at the University of Iowa for students that want to do primary care and can get some reimbursement, but there are a few um, programs that provide that same benefit to students that are interested in specialty care and especially surgical care, which even um, most primary care people don't expect surgical care to be a primary care in a small community, but it really is because it's a, such a broad spectrum of coverage. So if a hospital can't um, have people delivering babies and if they don't have surgeons to cover the obstetricians and people that deliver babies, then you really can't have a hospital. And so to incentivize students and even to provide some reimbursement uh, 
state-funded reimbursement, even federally funded reimbursement for those students to, that are interested to maintain an interest because they're getting some financial support to do that. So I think that'd be one of the main ways to encourage uh, physicians to want to stay in the rural area. Thank you, doctor. Um, okay, so you heard their ideas, and now we want to hear your ideas. Um, we, we are here as it, the main portion of this is to listen. I know you get a lot of people from Des Moines, and you got a lot of presidential candidates come through this very space. But we're not here to talk to you. We're here to listen. Um, I just want to um, introduce a couple people. Um, over here in the table in front of us here is um, Kyle Munson, the Iowa columnist at the Des Moines Register. Um, I, uh, Kyle has been our partner in, in um, emceeing these events, and Kyle will be uh, writing today. So, you know, if you've got any ideas, you can talk to him, too. Also next to him is uh, Bill Menner. And Bill, one of our partners in putting on these events is the, um, is the Iowa Rural Development Council. And you also may know Bill as he was the uh, former USDA Rural Development Director here in Iowa. So um, he used to be from the federal government. He's still here to help. Um, so, um, and we have some people here tonight who are going to help lead the groups. I mean, can, could you stand up or quickly? The ones that are here? <laughs> yeah, stand all the way up to Diane, Sherry. Okay. All right. So these are some of our small group leaders, but so um, we're kind of doing this informally. So at your tables, um, you can you can stay at your table. You can join in a bigger group. We don't really have any rules here, but we'd love to have people kind of mix up a little bit. And um, so there's the idea is to have one person at your table be kind of the leader, the spokesperson. And uh, we'd like you to think about the very question that I just asked. What policies would you advocate to help your community? Whether it's you're talking to federal officials, whether you're talking to your state legislators, or whether you're talking to the local leaders, what are the things that you would put on your list? So we'd love to see a long, everybody come up with a long list. And because there will be a quiz... I will be going around to ask you to report back. So um, we'd also like if the uh, panelists and others feel free to, to join in. Uh, love that as well. So get busy. Thank you. What you guys came up with? Okay, so our group talked a lot about telling our story in terms of trying to attract talent and not necessarily telling our story within Iowa, but how do we tell our story across the country and talk about quality of life and what we have to offer because sometimes taking a 30% pay cut is worthwhile when you're coming to a small community for a better quality of life. So how do we advertise what we have? How do we overcome some of the tradition and use our resources differently than maybe we have in the past? So we had the roads discussion and do we need them all? Um, 
and also talking about how do you support community colleges to help sort of build your workforce without making everyone think they have to get a four-year degree in order to get a good quality job. There are plenty of jobs. We talked about nursing specifically over here. Um, the partnership with Indian Hills, we have high school students that are graduating with LPN degrees that could go work at the hospital first day out of school, and that's a good way, even if you decide you don't want to be a nurse in the long term, to pay your way through college. So trying to advertise those kinds of things. And then supporting local businesses, we had a lot of conversation around you know, everyone hopes to attract that one big company that's going to make an impact, but oftentimes it's those small local businesses and supporting them to keep them open that then build momentum that bring more business. And so we talked about sort of a microloan concept of helping them get through those first couple years that's difficult so that they can stay around and help build your community. Okay. Excellent. I also see, I think others have this housing, good quality. We'll talk more about that. Uh, and maintaining the property tax backfill. We're hearing that everywhere. Thank you very much. Okay, can you, well, we have Madonna here, and um, tell us what you got. Well, our table uh, centered around some policies, and uh, we centered around the development of older buildings and um, attractiveness to, um, to get people to stay here, shop here, et cetera. Um, and the development of older buildings and, and helped work with our housing issues that we have here in town. And even though we have a lot of apartments, um, it says we still need more. But developing and maintaining some of these older buildings, especially around the squares, our current policies require water sprinkler um, systems put in there. And that seems to be a stumbling block for a lot of developers or building owners that want to... Um, update their buildings and use them for apartments. Um, so looking at maybe a subsidized uh, uh, support system for doing these sprinkler systems in the buildings is one of the things we came up with. The other thing is such as the uh, building facades that are being done here eliminated a lot of local contractors um, bidding on them because of the Davis-Bacon Act and they came up with it. That threshold really needs to be raised. Sounds like I know what I'm talking about. I don't have an idea what that Davis made. <laughs> I didn't know if it was smoked or not. Um, anyway, um, it helped with the... Um, it was, it, that was just one of the things, that, the solutions that came from that. And then um, also, developers with housing initiatives or you know, our housing shortages are in that $150 to $250 mark. And what incentives can we provide for developers to uh, really give them concrete um, support that those houses are going to be sold without putting their neck out on the line? Um, the other thing we came up with was uh, mental health dollar support. And is there some way that the state can supplement um, federal um, mental health reimbursements? Because right now for rural Iowa, it's a real challenge, number one, to get psychiatrists. And the, and the need is only increasing. And um, the money just isn't there to, to for mental health, and it's just an increasingly larger problem for our community. Thank you very much. All right. <laughs> All right, I'm going to squeeze under. Okay. 
Hi. Hi. What's your name? Janet. Janet. Okay. Tell us about what you have. Uh, so we talked about um, encouragement to create rental workforce housing um, to kind of bring people to the community. Um, there's When I came to Iowa, there wasn't a lot um, of housing or rentals to choose from because it's more for the low-income people. And I think if we could do that, we would get um, more people in our community that would um, grow our community, and then people would stay. Um, we also talked about um, assistance for the first first-time home buyers um, through the community. I think that this is vital um, for first-time home buyers because there's not really that available to them. And then we also talked about um, restaurants. We need to create some new restaurants and provide them with training programs and customer services so they know what is the proper way um, to wait on people and what's expected in the workplace. Um, continue to ease um, choices for allow ease of choice for education um, like open enrollment and homeschool and stuff like that and then we talked about the pop-up spaces um, the stores um, like how Heidi has a is it F and F uh, clothing to maybe have like nationwide stores come for like a month or two and then keep switching them out so we get different type of growth um, and have something new all the time and then try, for the businesses that are here, um, try to help encourage an online profile for them. Um, so maybe like the Chamber and some Main Street can help them like build an online presence if they don't have one and help get that going so they stay in business. Um, experts to help local businesses um, connect people um, to the business. So that would be with our Chamber again. Um, encourage encouragement for Iowa grads to stay in Iowa, not just from like the uh, Ross was talking about how the state schools um, they get a lot of state money um, and if we get started giving that to all the schools across Iowa even the liberal arts colleges to get them to stay in Iowa I think that could benefit all of Iowa and grow it and then um, a bar for socializing, not just you know, some nice place to go after work. Um, and then big brothers and big sisters programs um, to help with that mental health problem and get the kids on the right path. Okay. Sorry. So there is no program here in Mahaska County, you're saying? It's oh, they're starting. Okay, great. Great. And explain to me, tell me a little bit more about number one here. What When you say a workforce rental, just rental properties for that that market rate for workers here is that the yeah, main there's not much for um there's not much um housing available for um the workforce it's more of income basis is easier to get than for people who are looking for a house or like a rental and they're going to other communities to get it instead of oski so so living elsewhere okay thank you very much Okay, you. Who's up here? Okay, Andrea. Okay. 
So our group was kind of a mixture of people from Oskaloosa and from other communities. So we really based our conversation on uh, statewide policies to advocate for, uh, including support for new funding avenues that would go to private groups and individuals as well as civic organizations to allow for growth in these communities. Um, supporting green energy infrastructure, starting with things as basic as uh, recycling in the downtown area, uh, making sure that the tax base is supporting the community entities and supporting Parks and Rec alongside that. We talked about expanding um, the loan forgiveness programs to other professions in the rural-based areas to make it more accessible for young people to come here after college affordable housing, downtown living. We talked about engaging young people in civic uh, organizations at a younger level so that they're really building their community pride before uh, they reach their high school graduation. We talked about support for the arts and uh, combining the forces of arts organizations and the education program so that they can benefit from each other's strengths. And we talked about welcoming diverse populations into the community and strengthening civic organizations as a whole to expand the volunteer base and the group of people who are bringing their ideas to the table so that when you move into the community, it doesn't take you know, a handful of years to even start to enter that conversation. Okay. What is the, I'm sorry, what is the AAUW? Oh, that was just an example of a civic organization. It's the University Women's Organization okay. here in town. Okay. So just scary. who, uh, where all was everyone from in this group? Eldon, okay. Wow. Yes. Eldon. <laughs> Thank you. And so what, uh, when you talk about loan forgiveness programs, what sort of professions are in need that you... I don't know that we did. I think um, it's really across the table. Just um, I can think from a perspective of the people who are talking about it, that idea of people who are coming in to provide some of the arts and culture that people are wanting to bring into the community, but there's not really that infrastructure there for them like there are for teachers in the school system, even if you're teaching outside the school system. Yeah. Right. So other than, yeah, the health professions, yes. Other professions. Okay. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Little group here. Um, little, little bit of a group. I can <laughs> add one thing, I guess. Sure. Um, Tell us her name. Sure. Um, my name's Hannah. Uh, I just wanted to add, we agree with a lot of the points that have been said so far. Um, kind of what was... Janet said about young people coming into Oskaloosa. Um, I know when I moved here, it was really difficult to find a place to live, like she said. Um, one idea we had for that was kind of funding or an incentive to have a more um, online presence for landlords, rental companies, um, or even people just selling real estate, those type of things, too. It was very difficult to find that online, and I think that would help um, with the younger generation um, just so they don't like don't see anything online and then pass on and live somewhere else if that makes sense yeah yeah something more yeah great thank you very much okay i'll oh let me get the i'm going to switch mics here
Okay, Emily, are you in charge here? Yes. <laughs> okay, so our group talked about um, generally Main Street, the downtown area. We didn't get to a whole lot of retail development and quality of life. Mainly what we talked about was housing. Um, we had, as a community, the city facilitated a um, comprehensive housing needs assessment um, that actually identifies exactly what our community needs. Um, and one of the, the most needed, actually it showed a larger projected deficit than any other type of housing, was uh, market rate rental. Um, I think the number was 113 units that we need. Um, and just touching a little bit on um, ways to make that happen, I guess. So um, incentives like um, the challenge grant, for example, we just had a, a property owner that received the challenge grant to put an apartment above her building. Um, here recently, we've actually had three different housing projects that have been funded by the challenge grant. So several units in Trolley Place, several units in the McMillan building, and then um, above Jennifer Main's building will be the next project. Um, but overall, working with key players to develop and utilize existing housing incentives um, for development, renovation, maintenance, ownership. Um, let's see. I'm going to talk about addressing the needs for growth in areas identified by the Comprehensive Housing Needs Assessment. Um, the, the great part, um, as the Main Street Director, um, about that deficit is that we we get to we have the opportunity to address a large portion of that um, we have the perfect place for market rate rental um, we have existing infrastructure in the buildings um, and a lot of those spaces are underutilized currently so there's a lot of potential um, and those those unique and attractive spaces bring in young professionals um, and sometimes um, new retirees because they're they are unique and attractive <laughs> Um, we didn't get into too much about retail, um, but just a couple notes. Um, I think that Main Street and the Chamber have a large part in working with our downtown businesses, um, especially retail, restaurant, um, to direct their efforts in marketing and promotion, um, and also to connect them to resources that we have through Main Street, Iowa, the Iowa Economic Development Authority, um, and just kind of continued business development efforts to recruit, support, retain, and expand business in our community. Thank you, Emily. So uh, tell us, what is the market rate here? Um, I'm going to throw out the number 900-ish, I think. And for two. Don't, two for two bit. Two so don't. <laughs> 700 for one. Okay. Okay. And so those new, uh, the new uh, units that are coming on, we're getting rented. So there's demand for it for sure. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Okay. We're coming over here. Hi. Aaron. <laughs> All right. Uh, some of the things that we wrote down, uh, I'll just kind of just skim through here. Uh, we put historic tax credits on our board, uh, communication and accountabilities between elected officials and communities at large, um, something that would 
make elected officials accountable and allow them to communicate easier with their elected officials is what that is. Attract young individuals to community and uh, provide some type of entertainment that might facilitate that and uh, help young people see a community as attractive based on their on the amenities that are available for recreation and entertainment. Uh, worker training and retraining programs. Looks like the numbers 260E and 260F are on there. Thanks, Andrew. And uh, housing for retirees in small communities was another uh, idea that was that maybe rather than uh, an older demographic uh, going down south that there might be a housing opportunity uh, for those individuals here locally uh, in a smaller community if the housing was there for that. And then uh, we also had encourage new housing starts, uh, partnership between William Penn and community. Then we put STEM and humanities on there as well. Uh, so the question was, is what's needed to attract young people to the area? And um, it's one thing to have a job, but uh, I think young individuals also want something to do after work. And um, I think that there are jobs in the area, but sometimes what makes those jobs not as attractive uh, in terms of jobs in other areas are the things that are available to do after work, um, such as a recreation uh, facility um, or things to do, even uh, community gathering places or events to go to that uh, um, uh, family members with children can can go to to um, get together and have a community uh, to socialize with outside of work. I think I'm hearing a theme there. All right. Thank you very much, Aaron. Okay. Bob, okay. Hey, Bob, how are you? I may have to come over a bit. Yeah, if you can come right over here. Quite a bit of what we talked about is some of those items that have already been covered. In fact, I'll go to the bottom of our, our rather attractive chart. I have to say that because I'm going home with the artist. <laughs> Um, the bottom, that umbrella, quality of life, some items that have already been touched on there, uh, things like providing housing and activities for uh, retired folks. We've touched on that peripherally here. But the fact that we want to keep those folks, keep them in our tax base, um, because we have younger folks who maybe aren't contributing in the same way, aren't in the same homes, uh, have other things that are, that are drawing on their income. Uh, we talked about young families, activities, housing that's been touched on here, uh, arts, recreation, these are all there at the bottom. Um, downtown district, development of that. And we talked, um, when we talked about retail and downtown, we acknowledged that uh, a lot of the, the big stores that, that folks remember, um, when, when my dad was just a little boy growing up outside of town here, and they came into town on Saturday nights, the big stores were here. Well, we know, and sadly, as we were reminded when we lost pennies, um, 
a town this size has difficulty sporting those sorts of stores. But, especially in a downtown area like ours, the ability to attract unique retail, other entertainment sort of options uh, is really key. And, of course, we're doing a great job of doing that right now in Oskaloosa, so that's wonderful. The three that I would mention that might be a little different at the top for us, uh, we did talk extensively about education, uh, partly because there were a number of teachers at our table, but that's something of interest to a lot of folks. Um, Policy was mentioned going into this discussion, and we talked about the importance of uh, adequate funding in whatever way that might take place, whether it be at the local level, at the state level, through our community colleges also, through our private colleges such as we have. Um, And we added to that some things related to incentives uh, falling into two categories. One is, how is it that within the state of Iowa, as well as in Oskaloosa, we can once again, incentivize uh, young college graduates staying in in our state, in our towns, returning to their towns. Um, A number of us at the table have 20-somethings in our family, and we talked, how do we get some of them to come back? Uh, What is it we do that's attractive to them? Also in education, we addressed the, the fact that with some of what's happening that is making education a less attractive vocation. Uh, the Register reported just a couple months ago, I believe a 400 student a year, graduate a year drop in educators graduating from Iowa colleges and universities. Um, the, small co- the small schools and eventually the, sco- the schools the size of Oskaloosa are seeing their, their applicants plummet. And how do we get those folks to come back and want to teach and provide quality schools and education in our town? Uh, We talked about medical needs, um, critical access funding, and the fact that hospitals the size of ours and some neighboring communities uh, may be in competition for the the opportunity to be designated as recipients of some of that critical access funding. What are incentives for young medical professionals to settle in small towns? Um, And finally, we talked about communication. Um, How is it that within our community and then also reaching outside of our community, we make people aware of what's happening, whether it be opportunities, whether it be recreation, whether it's entertainment. Uh, We touched on something that's been a discussion in a number of venues I've been a part of, and that is, what if we had an app that was easily accessible on your handheld device that really told people what's happening? Because even the things that are well-publicized, people turn around. Brianna talked about the Art Center. And no matter how hard they try, people say, oh, if I'd just known, I would have come to that. Um, how do we let people know? So those were our items. That's an excellent list. Thank you very much, Bob. And the umbrella is fantastic. The quality of life umbrella, yes, we all need that. <laughs> okay, we're coming over. Yes, could you come over toward me? Diane, thank you. Hi, hi, Diane. What? Are we last? I don't think so. We still have a group over here, I think. Okay. No? Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, there, you came with us. So I don't want to. I want to make sure we're not missing anybody. I think you're last. Okay. You want me to hold this? Sure. And before I get started, um, I want to do something a little bit different. The future is really bright for us. We had a young man in our group. His name is Balin Brink. He's eight years old, and it's going to be hard for you guys to see him. 
and he seems like a rule follower, so I need to give him permission it's okay to stand on a chair. Can you stand up so everybody can see you? And if we could give him a round of applause, because he had more ideas than the rest of us. Well, we, he didn't have his cyclone shirt on when it started, and then he took his pullover off, and we saw that, and his stock dropped just a little bit. But <laughs> So we really focused on local and didn't forget the fact that we are also sitting in the middle of a very Republican area of the state. And so we were trying to come up with ideas that wouldn't cost money and were not an ask for tax dollars right off the bat. And one of the um, themes that we kept coming back to was the fact that we have to work on our city and rural relations in this county and in this part of the state. Um, in the 1850s, if you go back and look at the Herald, there are minutes from a city council meeting that the city council in Oskaloosa passed an ordinance that hogs could no longer run wild downtown. <laughs> there are reports that farmers came in and said Oskaloosa was being a little uppity and they needed to get over themselves. Our group decided that it's time we all get over it. If we've been holding on to that grudge since the 1850s, it's probably time to get over it. So we talked about ways that we could bridge that gap again. One of the programs that we'd like to see come back is Mahaska Leads or a Mahaska Leads type program. That's a leadership program that brought half city, half rural people together for a year and they worked on leadership skills and also visited each other's businesses, whether that was in town or that was on the farm, um, so that we have an appreciation for what we um, are all doing and are all part of this community. We talked about needing to expand our access to early childhood education. There are waiting lists for preschool in the community and kids that can't get in. Um, we talked about supporting entrepreneurs and small businesses. We feel like there are a lot of support for larger businesses in the community, but we need to do something to support more of the um, businesses that are wanting to start up. We talked about shopping local and better promoting what local businesses can do for you. If you like the convenience of Amazon delivering to your door, do you know that Hy-Vee will do the same thing for you and your tax dollars stay right here in the community? We talked about, because we had Tom, we needed an infrastructure plan for roads, air, water, rail, that matches 21st century needs, that also takes into account the appreciation for the land that we're trying to use for all of those um, infrastructures. And how do we get that communication going? And that brought us back to city and rural again. Partnerships for recreation, including rehabilitation and lifelong health, beautification of smaller properties, and Balin really encouraged us on this one that we need to help each other and maybe mow lawns for people that need the help, not because we want to earn the money, but because sometimes our neighbors just need a helping hand and we need to do that. Um, and we talked about a trail system. We have a nice local trail system and figuring out how we connect that with the trail systems in southeast Iowa so that we can bring people in from all over. Then we got to and bringing back a downtown hotel, um, more hotel-motel service that's dependable in the community, and restaurants in an entertainment district that would appeal to all different ages, and then identified some of the historic buildings in town that could use some help and making sure we're using them for something that has a purpose.
Thank you. Um, I love the part about Mahaska Leeds, and you'll have to tell me a story of why it doesn't exist anymore. But one of the things that um, we've talked about in other areas is um, uh, Bethany's, Bethany's boss at McClure Engineering um, talks about um, when he goes around the country, he sees the big difference. You know, what is it, the one thing that communities set themselves apart in? It is that leadership. You know, if you have a community that has progressive leadership, that means you are growing. If you do not, if you have people who are, uh, you don't, and you're fighting over little things, then you probably aren't going anywhere. And so I love that idea, and I love all the ideas we have here. And please do not take your boards, because we want them. Um, what we have done is we, we have collected those in all the places we've gone, Spencer, Fort Dodge, um, uh, Marshalltown, and uh, of course, your lists are better than them all. Um, but I and we've heard, you know, the, the housing issue is an issue everywhere, and some of the other things that we've talked about. Um, but the one thing on Fort Dodge's list is something that uh, seems like you you have an advantage on, and is that's they are really wanting better broadband service there. So, be sure to sell that. So. Thank you very much. Again, we'll take those lists. We're going to, we'll uh, please be watching the register. Kyle Munson will be writing about tonight, but we'll also be writing about some of the issues um, coming up in this series. So thank you again. And um, we're done, but feel free to talk about some of the ideas that you generated tonight. Thanks. You've been listening to Fly Over Folk, where we explore the progressive arts, culture, and politics of rural America. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. For more information, you can always go to flyoverfolk.com. And as always, we want to give a special shout out to the Rollists. They're the ones that created our intro at the top of the show. For more information on them, you can search Northwest of Nowhere Records.